The Great Lakes, of course, are beautiful. They're wonderful to swim in, wonderful to boat on. And of course, we drink their water every single day, right? Really vital, vital needs. Um, so without reducing all of that to a dollar figure, it is important to talk about the fact that the Great Lakes are critical to not just the region's outdoor way of life, but really fundamental to our economy. Hello, and welcome to Lakes Chat, the show that dives into all things Great Lakes. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're talking about the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, the GLRI, which is one of the cornerstone federal programs aimed at restoring and protecting the lakes. Our guest today is Joel Bremeyer, Alliance for the Great Lakes President and CEO. Hi, Joel. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jen. So let's just dive right in. Tell us, let's start off with just an overview on, you know, what is the Great Lakes Restoration and Restoration Initiative, the GLRI, and why is it important? So to answer that, I'm going to take a step back to the 20th century and remind everybody just how much the Great Lakes region gave to the rest of the country and really the rest of the world during the 20th century. Um, not only... Uh, goods like steel, but cars and all sorts of other manufactured products that were really centered here in the nation's industrial heartland. And that's a legacy that a lot of people are proud of, but it's also a legacy that left a lot of pollution behind and a lot of scars on communities. And so for many decades, there were questions about how that was going to get cleaned up and how the Great Lakes were going to be restored to um, something uh, that looks like a resilient, uh, natural system that can support all these millions of people that live here and all the wildlife um, that, uh, that depend on the lakes. And what came about after many decades of negotiation was this idea that the federal government needs to reinvest in the Great Lakes region. And that's what became the GLRI. It was a major investment in restoring the harm that was done to the Great Lakes region uh, and bringing it back to a point that it can support uh, this wonderful place that so many of us call home. And so you talked about investment. And so this program over the past I don't know, dozen years or so it's been been around, has invested over $2.9 billion in supporting about 6,000 different projects, I guess. Um, that's a lot of money and a lot of projects. Um, tell us a little bit about, can you give us some examples of some of the kinds of projects that the GLRI has supported and what they've accomplished for the Great Lakes? One of the great things about the GLRI is that it has provided benefits to many communities across the region. I live in Chicago and about an hour north of where I live is a community called Waukegan, where one of those manufacturing facilities that dumped pollution into the harbor for many, many years was located. And the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, uh, along with other programs, has helped invest in the removal of all that toxic crud at the bottom of that harbor to help support the restoration of the river and harbor in Waukegan. It's fantastic. That kind of cleanup has been repeated all over the Great Lakes region. The GLRI has also invested in things like fish and wildlife habitat restoration and stopping invasive species from getting into the lakes. And these kinds of projects are needed across the Great Lakes region, which is why you've seen those 6,000 plus projects hitting the ground um, across the Great Lakes. Pretty much anywhere uh, you've seen activity uh, to restore uh, a healthy wetland or make a beach uh, more accessible to people or clean up a contaminated river and harbor, there's probably some GLRI money involved. 
Yeah, it's really impressive the extent of projects and and the breadth. You know, these projects are all across all five lakes, correct? And there's, um, you know, from little small projects to really big projects like those one you're talking about. And we can put a link on our website with the podcast um, uh, recording um, to a map that EPA, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, keeps that has a map of all these. It's pretty impressive to see that big map with all of those little dots of the projects um, across the Great Lakes region that have been funded. Um, so in addition to all these uh, environmental benefits, there's also economic sort of benefits and, and opportunities through the program. Tell us, and I know some researchers looked at sort of that piece of the puzzle. Tell us a little bit about some of the economic benefits from the GLRI. Well, the Great Lakes, of course, are beautiful. They're wonderful to swim in, wonderful to boat on. And of course, we drink their water every single day, right? Really vital, vital needs. Um, so without reducing all of that to a dollar figure, it is important to talk about the fact that the Great Lakes are critical to not just the region's outdoor way of life, but really fundamental to our economy, right? So why did those steelmakers locate here in the Great Lakes? access to iron ore and, yeah, you guessed it, fresh water, right? Why are there so many uh, large metropolises that, that boomed up in the 20th century and actually located on the rivers and the lakes themselves? Access to water, access to transportation, right? So all of that means that the Great Lakes are generating a great regional economy um, in addition to being this phenomenal freshwater resource. Uh, some work that was done by a consortium a couple of years ago uh, indicates that uh, roughly the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative is paying back about $3 to every one federal dollar invested in the program locally. That means that for every dollar from the GLRI coming from Congress, uh, we're getting $3 plus of economic benefit back here in the region. Um, and that's a phenomenal payoff for the Great Lakes region. Um, but even beyond that, uh, the GLRI has generated investment from state and local governments who also understand that the outdoor economy and safe drinking water uh, and simply access to these tremendous resources is vital to their local economic growth. So many communities in the Great Lakes region are dependent on tourism for making uh, a lot of their revenue four or five, six months a year. Of course, are beautiful. They're wonderful to swim in, wonderful to boat on. And of course, we drink their water every single day, right? Really vital, vital needs. Um, so without reducing all of that to a dollar figure, it is important to talk about the fact that the Great Lakes are critical to not just the region's outdoor way of life, but really fundamental to our economy, right? So why did those steelmakers locate here in the Great Lakes? Access to iron ore and, yeah, you guessed it, fresh water, right? Why are there so many uh, large metropolises that, that boomed up in the 20th century and actually located on the rivers and the lakes themselves. Access to water, access to transportation, right? So all of that means that the Great Lakes are generating a great regional economy um, in addition to being this phenomenal freshwater resource. Uh, some work that was done by a consortium a couple of years ago uh, indicates that uh, roughly the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative is paying back about $3 to every one federal dollar invested in the program locally. That means that for every dollar from the GLRI coming from Congress, uh, we're getting $3 plus of economic benefit back here in the region. Um, and that's a phenomenal payoff for the Great Lakes region. Um, but even beyond that, uh, the GLRI has generated investment from state and local governments who also understand that 
the outdoor economy and safe drinking water uh, and simply access to these tremendous resources is vital to their local economic growth. So many communities in the Great Lakes region are dependent on tourism for making uh, a lot of their revenue four or five, six months a year. And so the more we can do to actually invest in the resources that make it more attractive for people to visit those places, um, the stronger economic boost the region gets. So there are really no shortage of reasons that it's worth investing in this program. Yeah, that's an impressive number, um, three to one. You mentioned tourism. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about like what, like what some of those tangible benefits are. Like where, like how, what does that look like? Those extra three dollars um, that that are coming from the one dollar invested in Great Lakes restoration. Like you mentioned tourism. What other kinds of things? So um, again, where I live in Chicago, there are more than I think 60 million visits to the Chicago public lakefront every year, right? So when people visit that lake and the water is clean and they don't have to think about whether or not there is a bacterial contamination at that at that beach, they're going to go there. They're going to spend their money, and the family's going to enjoy a nice day at the beach. Um, if I'm going to buy a fishing license or rent or buy a boat in Western Michigan and go out for a day of fishing, or I'm going to be able to uh, go just enjoy uh, speed boating uh, down, down the river, I'm not going to have to think about whether or not there are invasive carp that are going to jump out and smack me in the face while I'm doing so, right? Because I know that there is investment happening in the protection of those resources. Um, everywhere you see an opportunity for people to access the lakes in a healthy way. That is what the GLRI and programs like it are supporting uh, every single day. Uh, and again, it's just so critical because you see communities like, for example, Detroit, where a riverfront that was long filled with parking lots and, uh, and, and industrial lots has now been restored into uh, a publicly accessible river walk that is beautiful to look at, provides great access to fishing and park space, um, and is a part of the, the regeneration of what is a wonderful city, right? And those, again, those stories of local restoration, creating community benefits and being attractive to people to visit and enjoy those places, it's being played out all across the Great Lakes region. And so, <clears throat> The GLRI just got a really big boost um, in the bit that big bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed at the end of 2021 um, to the tune of an additional $1 billion. Um, and just last week um, in uh, mid-February, uh, President Biden visited Cleveland and nearby Lorain, Ohio, to talk about that investment and how those dollars are going to be spent. So what did President Biden announce last week and, and how will those dollars, those additional dollars for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative be spent? So restoring uh, contaminated places is expensive. Um, a lot of decades went into polluting them and it costs a lot of money to actually clean them up. And so as part of the infrastructure bill, there was this additional $1 billion investment made in the GLRI. And what the Biden administration announced last week is that most of that money is going to go towards cleaning up what are called areas of concern. These are contaminated rivers and harbors and lakefronts across the Great Lakes region that were designated in 1987 as some of the worst contaminated spots and places in desperate need of cleanup. And so 
through this new investment, plus the dollars that are coming through the regular program, the administration committed to fully cleaning up 22 of those sites by 2030. That's a big deal. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work that has been a long time in coming, and a lot of those restorations and cleanups are underway right now, but they needed a big new investment to, to be on the road to completion. To give an example of a place that I mentioned earlier, the Detroit River uh, alone is going to require, I believe, about a half a billion dollars of additional investment over the next 10 years to clean up all the contaminated sites um, in that location. And that's just one uh, spot in the areas of concern program. So uh, I was really pleased to see that commitment. And I always like it when dollars are paired with a date so we can make it very clear that through this bipartisan program, we've got real accountability for making sure that the areas of concern are cleaned up. Uh, and we can also start to think bigger about some of the other needs that the Great Lakes are showing now that perhaps we didn't have on the radar back in 2005. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit more about like what about the contaminants in some of those areas of concern, which I always think is such a funny term. Like to me, concern is like, oh, ho oh, hum, but this is like really nasty, toxic stuff. So tell us a little bit about like what those contaminants are, um, why they're a problem for the ecosystem, but also the people who live around there and why, you know, just why it's so expensive to, because you, know, you don't just like wave a magic wand and it all goes away, right? Well, yeah, and, and people you should be very concerned about what's in these sites, uh, but it doesn't quite get the point across. To talk about these chemicals, you really have to think back to a time when it was okay under federal law to discharge really nasty toxins into our waters. So things like PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls, and dioxin, and lots of other nasties where you might have heard these terms before, but you're not really sure what they do. These are chemicals that can cause um, cancer, they can cause nervous system disorders, uh, and, and these are just really nasty stuff. And so um, we're talking about the product of a time when this stuff got dumped in our waters and sat there and kind of sunk to the bottom and got stuck in sediments and is just uh, sitting there waiting to either be you know, stirred up and recontaminated in our, our water or to be removed or, or safely um, sealed off so that can't happen. Uh, and it's hard to imagine today when you look out across a, a beautiful Great Lake in the you know, middle of summer and you, and you see that endless water, a time when it was seemingly okay for that to happen. People's outrage about these contaminants is what sparked kind of the first Great Lakes movement. Uh, and while it has taken a very, very long time, it's phenomenal to see the turnaround where not only is it not okay to put that stuff in the water anymore, um, we're actually doing the responsible thing, spending the money it takes to actually get it out. So the damage uh, can uh, no longer accrue to the people and wildlife that depend on the lakes. Um, and I'm really glad to see that happening. So obviously that's a major win for the Great Lakes and for the GLRI. Um, and in the Alliance for the Great Lakes, our annual federal policy agenda, which we released in early February, um, we're calling on Congress and the administration to also fund the GLRI at $400 million a year as part of sort of the regular annual appropriations process. So we've talked about, you know, billions of dollars spent on the program and this extra big boost. What does that additional $400 million pay for each year? And why is it still necessary, you know, we're, uh, to, to continue to invest in this program? 
So uh, the billion dollars is going toward that areas of concern program on its own. It's still not sufficient to actually close that one out. Right. And remember that that's still uh, an eight year commitment. The, the Biden administration made that commitment through 2030. So there is still a lot of work to do just under that program. But um, there are a lot of other needs facing the Great Lakes. Uh, so one that doesn't perhaps get as many headlines, but that is uh, really uh, substantial is just basic fish and wildlife habitat restoration. Along with the contamination of all these areas of concern, uh, there's been massive destruction of wetlands and coastal areas and all of those, uh, those, those spots that if they're healthy, they can really support fish and wildlife and local economies. But if they're degraded, like a lot of them are today, um, they don't provide those kinds of services at all. And, and they really undermine the health of the Great Lakes ecosystem. Uh, there's things, there, there are challenges that, that people are dealing with today, like coastal erosion and shoreline protection. And it's, it's one thing we've got to be looking at is, can the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative help map the, you know, the next generation of action to make our coastlines healthier and more resilient, right? Um, there's, uh, there are areas like cleaning up, uh, pollution that doesn't come from pipes. So one of the big challenges in the Great Lakes that is way past anything that we were dealing with, um, in this, in the industrial contamination area are things, are the contamination coming from what we call non-point source pollution, which runs off of land. So things like farms, uh, things like, um, overbuilt areas that just dump, uh, polluted water into the lakes and rivers and cause things like algae blooms. So there is really no shortage of work that needs to be done even beyond cleaning up this toxic legacy. And that's why it, it continues to be important to, to fund this program from year to year. And so shifting gears a little bit, um, <clears throat> The, you know, we talked about how the GLRI has been around for, I don't know, a dozen years or so, but that program was the result of a convening back in the early 2000s called the Great Lakes Regional Collaboration. Um, and that effort, which brought together people from across the region, led to a regional strategy that sort of pointed us in the direction of the GLRI and sort of set a framework for Great Lakes restoration overall. And so I know there's been discussion about the need to update that strategy, but before we talk about that, can you give us a little background on what that collaboration effort was and kind of how it all came about and why that was so important overall for the Great Lakes movement? I will, and, I, and I'll try not to do too much of a history lesson, but a couple, a couple of key points here. Uh, one goes back to something I mentioned earlier, and that is that in 1987, that is when the governments of the United States and Canada designated these areas of concern. Then there's actually 43 of them across the Great Lakes in the US and Canada. We're only talking about the US today. And so um, that moment said, hey, these places are really contaminated and ought to be cleaned up because they're a threat to health and, and of people and of wildlife. And so uh, more than 15 years later, that still had not happened. Uh, a lot of people had spent some time writing some plans but the actual cleanups hadn't happened for a whole variety of reasons, but mostly it came down to the dollars just weren't there for these very expensive cleanup projects. Um, that sparked the creation of something in the U.S. called the Legacy Act, the Great Lakes Legacy Act, which was kind of the first effort by Congress to start paying for the cleanup of these contaminated sites that had just been festering for decades. Um, and then it, from at that point, uh, I think people in the in the Great Lakes in the United States sort of 
uh, got the cue that, hey, something's happening here, and we've actually got a lot more needs than just cleaning up the areas of concern. So let's take a moment to start to write those down. And through a combination of some really visionary leadership from philanthropy and from nonprofits and from government uh, agencies and, and elected officials, there were a series of steps that led to a big convening uh, by US EPA and the federal government called this Great Lakes Regional Collaboration. And it brought together about 1,500 people, stakeholders from all levels of government, communities, nonprofits, to literally get together and uh, write down what are the biggest problems facing the lakes, what needs to happen to fix them, and how much is it going to cost. And it was literally uh, days and days of conference calls where all of this information got documented. Uh, remember, this is pre-Zoom and eventually got put into a, a plan called the Great Lakes Regional Collaboration Strategy. And that plan ended up being the basis for what we call today the, the GLRI, um, which was funded initially by um, the, uh, under the Obama administration. I think you get it. There's a sort of a side point here about bipartisanship, right? Because wasn't the collaboration, some of that initial idea come out of the, the Bush administration and then it's continued into Obama? It's, I guess my point here is this has been a, a historically a bipartisan effort, correct? It really has. And, and even before, uh, you're right about the Bush administration creating the GLRC and then the Obama administration running with the GLRI. Even before that, there was a coalition of members of Congress um, from both sides of the aisle that created the first, the Great Lakes Legacy Act that I mentioned, and we're really pushing each other to try to, uh, you know, as, as elected officials sometimes do, a little bit of one-upsmanship about, you know, who can get the Great Lakes restoration train moving. And that was, I remember, I, you know, I was doing this work at a very uh, early point in my career back then. It was energizing to see the attention that this idea was generating, because I think that it was understood that communities across the Great Lakes they had different political views, but they shared the same problems that, that each other were, were facing. And that led to an agreement that, hey, uh, we can be in this together. We get the value of this water to our communities and we'll introduce the bills and, and make the push that's needed to get this going. And I think that's persisted through um, the life of the program. Uh, frankly, you know, anytime somebody steps up and does something silly, like try to cut the program or, you know, talk about what a waste it is, um, you see them get pushed back pretty hard, pretty quickly. And that's because there's so much confidence in the need for a restored Great Lakes here in the region. And a, and a track record as well, for sure. Yeah, I, that's another part of the GLRI is that uh, it's a federal program. And because of that, it actually has a lot of documentation for all the successes. And so every grant, every contract, every investment um, has you know, metrics demonstrating what it accomplished. And those are organized and sorted and compiled. And anybody who wants to see these really dry databases can go look at them. Uh, and but you know, but the upshot is that you know it's been reviewed several times uh, by you know appropriate agencies and and has been found that it's really an effective program that's doing what it set out to do. So we have this effective program. It's serving us well. It's still kind of moving forward steadily, you know, project by project, uh, restoring and cleaning up the Great Lakes. But there's now a lot of talk about a need to revisit that strategy and sort of rethink some of the, the pieces of the program. So why, if we've got a really successful program, 
why tinker with it? Why should we go back and sort of take a look at that strategy, you know, however many 15, 20 years later, and rethink some of the things um, about Great Lakes restoration? A couple of reasons. One is that um, the issues have changed. And so I mentioned earlier uh, the issue of, you know, shoreline erosion and extreme high and low water levels very much uh, on the minds of people now more than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and certainly that's that's changing in part because of the reality of climate change that's being visited upon the Great Lakes, right? So um, that was a factor that while it was known in 2005 when the GLRC strategy was written, it certainly wasn't as prominent uh, in people's minds or in the, our understanding of the impacts on the Great Lakes. Um, there are other issues that, that, have, that have arisen, uh, you know, in, in the time since the GLRC was written that are simply not reflected as GLRI priorities. And so one reason to go back is to, is to make sure that we're actually in addressing the current needs of the Great Lakes, not just the needs that were described uh, initially, you know, back in the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement of 1972. Um, another reason, and I think one that perhaps uh, is, is an even stronger, a stronger charge for, for regenerating the, the GLRI is that, you know, the table has changed. The table that needs to be set uh, where people come together and actually decide what those priorities are and what the Great Lakes needs are, that's changed as well. I mentioned that when the GLRC was first created, it was this network of 1,500 or so stakeholders that came together on conference calls and talked about what the Great Lakes priorities are. That really demonstrates the impact of real engagement with the community. So the people that were at that table had a real say in what priorities showed up in the GLRC strategy, eventually the GLRI, and then eventually that decided just got spent. Um, we know that communities across the Great Lakes region were not uh, engaged fully equitably during that process. We know that a lot of the incredible water activism and leadership that's shown up in the Great Lakes over the last 15 years is coming from communities of people that have really borne the brunt of pollution unfairly. Often those communities are communities of color, low-income communities uh, facing issues like drinking water contamination, PFAS contamination, um, and you know issues that simply were not on the radar during the creation of the original GLRC. Uh, you know, partially because the science wasn't as well developed, but partially because, frankly, you know, not everybody who should have been at the table was. Uh, and that's changed a lot in the last decade, especially where, you know, we and, and many other organizations have really been working to, to help support um, the voices of people, you know, leading the charge on the front lines of, of Great Lakes water challenges. And that just, frankly, that table just looks different than it did in 2005 and rightly so. And I think that our, our big federal investments uh, need to reflect the priorities of the communities uh, that are relying on the Great Lakes today. Um, and, and that's going to require some additional work by, uh, by all of us, but, you know, leadership from the administration, you know, receptivity in Congress and, uh, you know, people uh, regenerating the priorities for the Great Lakes. So the GLRI continues to do its job for, for another generation. And so you just started to touch on this a little bit. If, if you get out your magic wand, uh, what, what would this, what would that process look like? Like how, like, 
kind of how would we go about that? How would the region go about that? If you could, if you could pick, what would that process look like? Well, the great thing about 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 doing it right is that it, it's not rocket science, but it does require listening and patience. You know, one of the things we saw in 2005, I remember, is that uh, the federal government through US EPA invested real time and money, not just in writing a plan and then saying, hey, here's the plan, uh, but in actually saying, okay, you tell us what the plan should be. You tell us what the priorities should be. And in fact, they did actually listen. They listened and wrote those things down. And a lot of that got included in the final plan. If we can repeat something like that um, with the knowledge that, that the communities that are being impacted have changed, that the people at the table need to change, that climate change is much more of a reality. But if we can repeat that process of having our federal uh, agencies invest the money up front, be willing to listen, open the doors, have those conversations for, for several months or as long as it takes to document all those needs and then see those needs reflected in the actual plan. I think that'd be a great way to regenerate the energy uh, and, and frankly broaden the support for a program like the GLRI because it really, frankly, it draws its strength from the fact that there are so many people in the region that agreed on the on the priorities of, of let's call it you know GLRI generation one. Um, I think by you know some investment in listening and patience and, and, and addressing the priorities of the people at the table today, I think that a, a GLRI generation two um, could actually uh, do the same thing uh, for another generation. And so again, I don't I don't think it's that hard to do. But it does require uh, sort of a change in mindset and being willing to listen, um, you know, a little bit of, you know, slowing down so we can speed up again uh, with the GLRI. And we're <clears throat> coming up on the end of our time here, but uh, I have one last question for you to wrap it up. And, and it's about the future. You know, we touched on this just a little bit um, right now, but what's your hope for the future of the GLRI and perhaps more broadly, the future of Great Lakes restoration? Well, I'd love to see us continue to expand the definition of what Great Lakes restoration is. Um, there is an opportunity here to really bring together uh, what we might call the traditional environmental movement. So a focus on things like cleaning up contaminated sites, restoring fish and wildlife habitat, but also bring in a lot of the leadership from, that we're seeing from frontline communities, which are you know sometimes uh, people and groups that are working at the front lines of environmental justice across the Great Lakes. I think if we can find a way through the GLRI and other programs to bring those voices together in a way that is mutually supportive and respectful, you know, of, of the needs of each that recognizes that some of the challenges that environmental justice communities uh, are, are facing and have been facing for decades have not been addressed yet. Uh, and we can find a way to to bring that together with the phenomenal success of the GLRI, that could be really, really powerful. Um, I also think there's an opportunity here to expand our definition of Great Lakes restoration, even if it's not under the GLRI program, uh, to include areas like uh, drinking water and wastewater. You know, right? So we haven't even talked about the fact that a huge part of the cost of restoring the Great Lakes and restoring water for the people who live here uh, is in the area of, of water infrastructure, which was which was actually 
when the original Great Lakes Regional Collaboration was created, that was uh, seen as about two thirds of the cost of the whole plan. And it was, it was not even addressed in the GLRI, it's addressed through other programs. So I'd love to see the, our definition of Great Lakes Restoration expand to include, include that area, just because it plays such a critical role in the lives of people who depend on the Great Lakes every day. Uh, there's a lot of goodwill around this program. There's a lot of understanding that these water challenges are shared by communities across the region. And, you know, in spite of our, you know, current political climate, that gives me a lot of confidence uh, that there's actually an opportunity there um, to, to, to regenerate the program again in a way that meets the needs of the next generation. Well, thanks, Joel. This has been a great conversation and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join Lakes Chat. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Thank you for listening. If you care about the lakes, please take a minute to write your representatives in Washington and urge them to support the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Your voice makes a difference. On our website, greatlakes.org lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the GLRI and a quick form to send a letter to your elected officials. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you'll know when the next episode drops. See you next Tuesday.